Dear Mr. Hammett. Dear Miss Smith. Dear Mr. Goldberg, thank you for your thank recent you for application, your application to the role, role of assistant producer. producer. We're currently reviewing all applications and we'll get, get back, back to you as soon as we can. You can browse other vacancies at blah, 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 Due to the high blah, blah, blah. volume of applications, we're writing to inform you that unfortunately we won't be taking your application further. any further. Hello, audience members, and welcome back to this week's edition of Jobs Board as we move into the second month of 2021, quite unbelievably. Uh, my name's Ollie Hammett. This is George Goldberg. Hi. And Bridie Smith. Hello. Hey, guys. Um, how have we been? Yeah, it's been a good week. George and I have been busy doing some lectures. Oh, yeah. Brian and George have been moonlighting uh, <laughs> away from the podcast. <laughs> or, well, you could call it diversifying the podcast, I suppose. Yeah, it was yeah. sad that you couldn't join us, Ollie. I was and... very sad too. But yeah, to, to put it into context for our listeners, um, we were very, very pleased to be invited to give a presentation in a, what it, was it an event? A sort of... They're doing a lecture and seminar series on basically how to create a podcast and the students, as part of their assessment, have to create one and come up with an idea. So they were asking us about how we sort of came up with our idea and all the things like branding, marketing, social media, how you gain guests, all stuff like that. And this is this is run, by the way, by uh, Dr. Lily Cunter. How did it go then? What, did, what, what went down? Paint me a picture. Bryony whipped out some great clips from previous episodes. Oh, some highlights. Yeah, and honestly, I'm trying to not laugh (laughs) (laughs) so incredibly hard not to do that because um, one of the clips was, it's a quite recent one from this series. You, Ollie, you're you're recounting when your your boss sent you a link to the podcast I don't know what you call it, the the Penis Children's TV program. (laughs) And the clip is full of all of our laughter. And it's really hard for you not to laugh along. And I really enjoyed it. Um, And it was also like I learned a couple of things along the way too. My favourite clip was the one about when things go wrong, which was when John Burko popped up. Oh, remember that? (laughs) (laughs) And that was so funny listening back to it. Yeah. How was it? How did they all go down then? Could you see the audience? In the Teams one, you couldn't. But in the Zoom one, we could. So, like, that's the one thing that I didn't quite appreciate with uh, our lecturers having last year is delivering a presentation in the Teams one where you can't see anyone. Oh, so you were just talking to your screen? Yeah. Whereas on on Zoom, like you could, and then you could interact a lot better, actually. So you couldn't even see how it went down? It was weird. It was like sharing the screen. So Bryony was the one in charge, and I was kind of doing a Chris Whitty style of, next slide, please. (laughs) 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 On the Teams version, I couldn't see anything because I was sharing the PowerPoint. But as George said, the Zoom version, you could actually see the people listening, which I think was better to kind of gauge whether they were enjoying it or not or whether whether <laughs> yeah. they were bored <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting isn't it because you know obviously we were really really pleased to be asked to to do something like this and it sort of certifies our, our podcast to an extent that it's something worth doing did it make you reflect at all on kind of what we've learned from this experience so far 
Definitely. I think in terms of, so I headed up the structure and editing and spoke about that and George spoke about social media. It was actually quite nice to reflect on the last few months and how we've sort of progressed. Yeah, like one of the examples is that I've learned recently over TikTok is if you're putting hashtags in a post and you've got two words, so let's say our, our, our Tip Tuesday initiative, if you capitalise the beginning of each word in a hashtag, so in this case the two Ts, it helps people with screen reading software um, allow it to read that word properly, um, whereas screen reading software struggles if it's all lowercase. So it's just really interesting things that you're telling people that I wouldn't have learned about that if I wasn't on TikTok. So I thought I'd might as well share this with uh, other people. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I'd say the thing that I've definitely learned is how, not necessarily how easy, but how sort of not as difficult it is to do all this remotely. <laughs> um, if you think that we, uh, the three of us haven't seen each other since like February of last year. Yeah, so a year ago. A year now. Yeah. Um, and yet we've still managed to, to start something together just over the internet and create something that yeah includes other people um and i guess and a lot of that as brianie mentioned is down to social media initiatives that's what it's really taught me this experience is how just being present on social media and coming up with sort of fun creative ideas the memes that we've made mm. <laughs> did you show them our kim kardashian meme oh uh, i couldn't i couldn't put, put them all in so i put uh, the, the, the pope, pope one featured yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the uh the bernie one with uh yes bush and obama on the other so side they're more they're more topical i guess people might have forgotten about the kim one Yes, but that was a highlight. Kim Kardashian's body in your head, Ollie. That definitely was a sight to be, to be I seen. Don't, I, I don't know what you mean. That was that was my body. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ollie, if you're if you're proclaiming that you look so good in it, I'm sure I can dig it out of the archives and reshare it on our Twitter for uh, our new lovely followers and listeners to uh, oh, thanks, enjoy. Oh, George, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so go to at uh, Jobsboard on Twitter and Instagram to find that. And speaking of sort of doing everything remotely, I thought I'd give. Uh, a little update on working from home, as I have been in my job for a Ooh, month. I love these updates. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I've not been uh, stuck in any cardboard boxes lately. <laughs> I've managed to keep myself out of that trouble. What I, I think one thing I wanted to talk about really about working from home is motivating yourself and feeling uh, that you are contributing enough to your job on a couple of occasions now I've had a bit of a, a sort of imposter moment where I've thought hang on I'm not actually there's nobody here actually watching me to see what I'm doing and so it's all down to me to be productive and be proactive and I'd be the first to admit that that's sometimes quite difficult <laughs> but it's all about sort of the flip side of that is that working from home gives you more freedom to sort of take those things more at your leisure because ultimately if you you have the work that you have and you do it and I don't know if you guys have ever done this but I've um I've taken to getting up in the morning for my meeting uh getting dressed and then attending my meeting on Microsoft Teams and then what I have to do after that is write up a load of press releases normally until about 10 11 a.m and for that I've just been going back to bed with some breakfast with a bit of toast um, and writing my articles from there. 
I think there is no shame working for bed because I am recording this very podcast on my bed. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> where's this Joe's, Joe's board after dark? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's just especially. Um, so I moved back home um, when the pandemic first started, and I came home to uh, well, the spare bedroom has a memory foam mattress. So <gasps> I don't, I don't know why my life did not exist with one of these before yeah. because I don't want to leave and I, I'm not like actually lying down in bed but like, I'm sitting upright on top of the duvet I might get under it no in a sec uh, I've got to be honest George I'm under the duvet right oh now. right well blanket fort maybe maybe that's what I have to do <laughs> yeah. but it's it's really comfortable and um if I put the pillows in the right place um it good, got good back support yes the laptop's probably a lot lower and I'm like looking down at the screen but I think I think it's a good compromise to be snug and cozy. That's exactly what it is. Well, there's been a real boom in loungewear sales. Have you either of you, you know, got on the loungewear bandwagon? Um, I've been wanting to. I've been wanting to get. Uh, I've been. I don't think I've worn proper trousers since literally since March last year. I've basically been wearing tracksuit bottoms or pajamas, and I need to buy some. I want to buy some coloured tracksuit bottoms. Ooh, I've got some really snazzy. nice. I've got some really nice yellow ones. Oh, Jobs Board, nice. Now you're going to get some purple ones. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will. Get some purple ones. Could do a yeah, Jobs yeah, Board nice... lookbook with Briny. Do a nice fashion <laughs> shoot. So, well, yeah, we should all um, we should all just model for it. That'll be fun. <laughs> uh, but, of course, my, my go-to work-from-home sort of guys is my... Poncho! Podcast. I knew oh, you were going to say that! Yeah. I knew you were going to say it! But it comes from my time in Mexico and is my most prized possession. Didn't you uh, wear the poncho um, to graduation? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I think I came across as a lot cooler than the guy wearing a mortar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely put a smile on my face when I saw it. That's, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, who? how many people get married in a poncho unless you attend the Lima School of um, Goat Herding or something? Did you say married? Did I? I? Yes, you did. Didn't I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like we've got a bit of love in the air. It's good. Good job. Valentine's is coming up. Well, you know, I mean, me and yeah, that's true. But, you know, <laughs> Bryony and I are a little bit older than you, George, and you know, our biological clocks are ticking. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah basically whenever i think of some sort of formal occasion it turns into a wedding in my head i could really see you with a, like a smoking jacket like a victorian smoking jacket oh yeah i have one of them but it's um i mean it is a victorian smoking jacket but it's covered in like uh treble clef symbols mm -hmm. it's like i like to think of it as if if I were thinner and I could wear it properly, I would look like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> um, but I can't, and I'm not, so I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's my that's my kooky wardrobe tip. So, yeah, stay tuned for the Jobs Board catalogue coming out soon. <laughs> it's now time to move it on and get to the second part of the show. And I'd like to introduce our very special guest for this week, Michelle Tile. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thanks hey, for Michelle. joining us, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, where are you calling from today? Uh, I'm in London, uh, Walthamstow, to be exact, oh, in my yeah. living room. 
So just working my work from home desk, you know, got my laptop set up. Every day is the same. We were just talking about this, actually. Um, Do you ever work from your bed, as Ollie has said that he does? Often. Often, (laughs) yeah. Um, Especially if it's like the 10 a.m. meeting and in my uh I've left now but my previous job uh we don't have cameras on so the 10 a.m meeting I'm like I'm not getting out of bed for that so I just log on on my laptop and just like lie in bed listening and then when I have to say something I say something (laughs) (laughs) so Michelle what what are you up to right now what kind of work are you doing uh, so for the past year, since the pandemic, actually, I was doing digital content uh, for an organization called the Law Society, uh, but I've just left and next week I'm starting as a reporter for My London, which is part of Reach PLC. Oh, My London is um, My London's the one with the big red banner. Yes, I think that's My London, yeah. We actually spoke about that job a few weeks ago, didn't we? What, say a few weeks oh, ago, yeah. um, about two months ago probably when we first saw it advertised so it's great to get someone on who's actually got it hey. yeah. yeah I mean I kind of just applied on a whim like, I saw someone tweet about how there's loads of roles going at reach so I was like I'll go for it um had an interview a few weeks ago and they seemed to like me I guess and uh got, got offered so it was really exciting because it's my kind of first journalism job like proper one so it's exciting to do that's really cool and is it going to be mainly digital uh, yes, I mean, my like job title is like trainee reporter, and then I have to file like five stories a day um, on a variety of topics, just like in and around London, a mixture of like kind of press releases and reported things um, and, you know, softer pieces, I suppose. Yeah, I really remember my London from, I don't know about you guys, but from on our course, which, whenever we were looking for a story to cover that week. My London was almost invariably the place that I went to because it had such a wide coverage of everything that was going on from like really small local issues to Mayor of London stuff. What sort of aspects really catch your eye? What are you most interested in, Michelle? Um, Well, I kind of have cut my teeth on a bit of everything journalism wise. Uh, So, you know, and the fact that it's, you know, a proper news reporter job, um, which will be exciting. And, you know, I have a car and they're kind of looking, you know, when the pandemic's calmed down a bit to send me around and, you know, do reporting in and around London, um, which is what I did when I was at uni. And uh, I used to be a reporter for London student, um, like a student journalist. Um, So I kind of did a lot of that, like news and investigative work. Uh, So that kind of aspect of it is like really exciting um and because it's a trainee position they're going to put me through some nctj training um and shorthand training because i do not know how to do shorthand so that'll be fun uh, i don't know do you guys wish we'd learn shorthand at all or i think i'd be really bad at it because my handwriting as it is is is, is horrific i was told um dur- during my a levels because i didn't quite know what i wanted to do after uni that i should be a gp because my handwriting is awful <laughs> So, so I think honestly if I tried to do shorthand I it would I feel like I would get things worse like the whole point of shorthand is for you to be able to record accurately what people have said quickly no that would be just a I'd get contempt of court I'd be locked up for libel all that stuff so I think it would definitely be a useful skill to have but there hasn't been a scenario yet where 
I thought, oh, I could have really have done with that. I think if I was doing court reporting, I think that would be a scenario where that would be definitely be useful. But in everything else I've done so far, I haven't needed it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and Michelle, the obviously people like Bryony are kind of going into the newsroom uh, where they were mm-hmm. the studio where they're working in radio. Are you going to be working from home or are you going to be going in? Uh, for now, working from home, I think when maybe kind of restrictions ease slightly, you know, like lockdown lifts and maybe we're in tears again, we might go back into the office, um, which I don't really mind. But yeah, for now, we're working from home, um, which is okay for me, I guess. Mm. I just kind of relax and drink my Diet Coke all day. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you anticipate, um, obviously, being in a place like my London where you're working across a patch, you have to sort of get to know people and sometimes finding a story is just a case of, you know, popping into a shop and asking the owner how they are. Um, how are you going to sort of track down stories, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, for now, probably I'll uh, get stories kind of in my local area that I can like walk to easily. Um, you know, I've spoken to a few people who currently work there and you know they say oh like sometimes I go to the supermarket and then I write like a you know random piece about something to do with the supermarket and coronavirus and something like that and you know that's just something that's part of my day anyway um so I'll probably you know see if I can find local stories I've joined a few like kind of local residence pages on Facebook for my area and then the rest I guess will probably be a lot of like social media work you know on Twitter like making sure I follow certain people and follow like certain topics um and you know make sure I kind of uh, have like the Google alerts for London and uh, see if there's stories to be found there and contacting people via social media, which is kind of what I do most days anyway. So I suppose social media kind of, it just is, even in normal times, it's just the best way to get in touch with people nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. You really can't underestimate these local community groups. You get such good stuff from them. Oh God. Yeah. 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 It's just like there's so much random stuff on there. Like people post such random things about every every little thing that's going on. They're always just looking out the window and seeing everything. Um, and you might not even have thought of it, but then you see this post and you're like, oh, that 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 works. That's a good story. Let's do that instead. Yeah, I still have a I have an entire Gmail account devoted to next door posts that I just received like, like about twenty a day. Wasn't it you, Ollie, that had um, a sort of neighbourhood group where someone was strategically placing a bear around the local village? Oh, yeah, I did. It was, yeah, where the village where I grew up in Kent. It was one of the most, it made me very glad that I didn't live there anymore because I would have, like, I would have really done something about this. <laughs> um, basically, this woman had, like, a, it must have been, like, a three or four foot stuffed teddy bear. Uh, and in an effort to sort of cheer the local community up, she would, she kept like posing this bear in different costumes and scenarios, <laughs> going to, going to quite extraordinary lengths. Like there was one of him at the beach, and she'd obviously sourced some sand from somewhere, God knows where. Um, but yeah, and she posted these every day in the group, and I had to look at them. Not at the actual beach, then, because I'm assuming you're... No, no, nowhere near, nowhere near the coast. About, about an hour's drive from the coast. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, just madness. Absolute madness. And there was <laughs> there was a great one about the um, 
about the muck spreading over the farms like last year because the place where I grew up is increasingly coming becoming just the commuter belt and people move down and don't understand that it's the country and that every so often they spread manure everywhere a summer um, whiff yes I can relate to yeah, that yeah yeah anyway sorry to go on about that that's just my my rant on Kentish hamlets back to Michelle <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned about how you are going to be learning shorthand, uh, but you did yeah. your um, you were at City uh, before all of this. What type of mm-hmm. skills do you think you will be applying from your masters to this job? Because um, if I'm right in saying that you did investigative journalism, which isn't like standard uh, newspaper journalism, um, so are you planning to kind of do deep dive explorations of stories? Do you think when you after your traineeship? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, you're correct. I did investigative journalism at City. Um, and the kind of skills that we learned in that MA um, are very applicable to kind of all types of journalism. You know, all types of journalism, you're going to need to be contacting sources. You're going to need to be fact-checking. You're going to need to be interviewing and, you know, um, like, looking through information and research. But obviously, investigative journalism is just kind of, deeper than like a normal news reported feature um news report even i think that the skills that i'm going to be taking with me and using in this role will be uh being able to contact people and kind of get a quote and being able to look through data um and mine data for stories you know if you take if you take it doesn't have to be an investigative story um when you look through data um because data obviously forms everything so you could go on the met police stop and search dashboard and look for the last two months and that could be a news story in itself whereas an investigative piece might be longer and more informative um, and you would look at it on a longer period of time from the stop and search dashboard Uh, so the skills I think are very transferable um, and like I said I you know, we did news reporting in my MA anyway, and I did a lot of news reporting at university um, in student journalism. So I do have a bit of experience there. And then I think that my MA just kind of gave me the confidence and also the like legitimate skill set where, you know, I can say, oh, I've studied this at an MA level and therefore I know it rather than just saying I did it once or twice and therefore I know how to do it. I suppose also it's given you the like at least confidence to submit um, like freedom of information requests FOYs off because I remember that was something on our course that is a little bit daunting in the first place but like once you've done one get one under your belt it, it's it's a relatively easy thing to do and I'm guessing particularly in um, like local council stories I imagine like you can send FOYs on how much a council spent on biscuits or something like that like that sounds great for your for my London yeah absolutely yeah that's honestly I've kind of forgotten everything I studied at uni but yeah you're right we definitely did a lot of freedom of information requests and kind of how to appeal them how to make them you know very specific and refined that they're not going to refuse you for whatever reason um and that those are definitely like very useful skills, not just for investigative, but for all journalism, because yeah, like you said, you could FOI local councils about anything. And that's a story in it, in itself about how much they spend on tea or biscuits. Um, but you can use FOIs 
for bigger stories, for more, um, you know, intense things about funding or parking tickets or anything really, um, and try to get the information that way and then use that data to form the basis of your story. Um, and, you know, we live in a world where like data journalism and data visualization and kind of having like concrete numbers is very, um, is very important in journalism. So I think that's definitely a really good skill. And we also did data journalism in my MA. Um, I'm not sure about if you guys did that, but we did some of that, like learning how to kind of use Excel and like data visualization techniques and things like that, and uh, techniques to scrape data in an easier way that will take less time for you to look through it. I do remember thinking it's really useful. And it was actually a lot of the stories that I ended up pitching on our course i'm not a data guy really at all but um most of the stories i ended up pitching were database because it's i used to like them because it's sort of black and white really you know data can be manipulated but raw data doesn't really lie yeah absolutely and i think data really backs up kind of i i like to do more like human element stories i really like long form sources and interviews um, and kind of looking into how it's affecting people but the data backs that up you know that so I recently did an investigation into transgender healthcare in Northern Ireland so I've had lots of I had lots of interviews lots of sources you know saying how much it's affected them that they can't access the healthcare that they need uh, to be the gender identity they want but then what I did was get FOIs to show that the clinic is you know how many people are on the waiting list um, how long it takes to get an appointment, how much funding is put into it in comparison to other services. Um, and that kind of, you know, just backs up my whole argument. Um, and that's really what data is about. Is that the piece that you um, got in advice? Yes, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, so this is, a. I wanted to talk about this piece because um, I noticed that you tweeted about it recently and it's saying it was almost a really laborious, tedious process of, you yeah. trying to get the story in like you saying that it take like 37 emails and two phone calls would you yeah. mind just talking through that process because I'm sure there's some of our listeners who would quite like to pitch advice if you wouldn't mind yeah. sharing your your experience that you had of course yeah so um I first kind of started looking into trans healthcare during my master's um I randomly we we have pitch clinics in my master's um every Wednesday so I had to come in to this class and have a story ready to workshop and I didn't have a story that day and about 10 minutes before the class I kind of just did a quick google did some twitter search and then I just thought of this um and that was in November 2019 so I started researching it um since then and then in about September October I kind of realized that um there is a very specific problem in Northern Ireland um, and started looking into that because I had sources from Northern Ireland already um, and I worked with um, a journalist who lives in Belfast who had also reported on it before um, so we did it together and yeah and we pitched it in um, the 5th of November I actually checked the other day we pitched it on the 5th of November um, took a few days for um, Simon my editor to get back to me um, but you know, he asked he asked a lot of questions, kind of, you know, trying to find out more about it. Um, and I'm sure lots of freelancers will know, like, you know, when you pitch, you don't want to give away the game very, like, immediately because that can be an issue um, of, you know, stories being poached or something. Not that that happens very often, but um, he asked a lot of questions, kind of what, in, what data I had, what information we had, um, who we talked to. And then he said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. And we submitted it, like, a week later. 
Um, and then it just took a lot of edits and kind of fact checking and, you know, clarifications and um, on the data and more data that we needed to find, more research that we need to find. Um, so, yeah, there was a, it's a 37 email chain in my inbox. Um, and then uh, it came out last Friday and last Thursday, Simon um, emailed me and he said, oh, um, could we have a phone call? Because I just want to talk through a few things, um, make sure that they're completely accurate. Um, and one of the things was um, a comment from from the FOI, from the clinic, that said that they are funded for 1.7 full-time staff. And they were a bit confused about that um, because, you know, it can it's like one full-time person and one who's like, set like 70% of a full-time person, so part-time. Um, and it kind of looked awkward. So, you know, we just had to kind of change it around, make sure that the angle and the story was really solid. Um, and yeah, I mean, pitching to Vice, I've pitched to Vice so many times, it's the first time I've gotten an article, and it really is just making sure that your story is really for their platform, that's their audience, um, and that it's a really strong story, like, I had all the data and all the sources to back it up, um, and it's kind of exclusive information for me that no one else could do. Um, so, and like I said, I've spent a year, over a year, researching this area. Um, so I had a lot of knowledge of it. So anytime he kind of came back to me with questions, I could say, yep, I know that immediately or have that link or I can find it in three seconds. And I think that was a really like good way of kind of building that relationship and making sure that you are the right person to write it because you just have that knowledge. Um, of course, I'm not... I'm not a trans person, so I don't know it from that experience, but because I um, am in the queer community, like I identify as queer or bisexual, um, when talking to a lot of sources, I could kind of put them at ease because obviously trans people are quite wary of the media. Um, and so I could kind of put them at ease, say that I'm not, you know, looking to vilify them in any way and not, you know, writing tabloid journalism that might, you know, bring abuse onto them. And I think they really appreciated that connection. Uh, and that's really how I kind of got people to trust me, to talk to me about it. Yeah, that must be so important for, as you say, like an investigative piece, a long form investigation to to really do the groundwork and, um, and make sure it's all done properly, not quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Investigations take a really, really long time. Um, you know, like if you think of like the kind of biggest investigations that we've seen in journalism the last decade. So like, you know, um, the spotlight film and me too um with harvey weinstein all of those took years you know and it's you have to be really careful of kind of what you're saying and of what um what you're writing and it just it takes a really long time but it's really worth it for me at least at the end um to see it out but i would say that um like as a freelancer doing investigations kind of may not be worth the time and effort that you get from the like fee for instance um but i really enjoy it so so you were talking about how you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Being someone uh, queer, um, I'd, I'd argue as a, as, a, as a gay man that realistically, uh, yes, there needs to be a lot more representation of this, but out of, out of all, all of the other um, ones under the umbrella, I think we probably get represented the most. How do you feel as an individual who identifies as queer is represented not only in news stories, but also in newsrooms? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, I think that 
you know, we're making strides towards more LGBT representation. We have kind of um, magazines and um, news outlets that are dedicated to LGBT work like Pink News or Attitude or Diva Magazine, um, which are all really great. Um, but, you know, I also think that generally newsrooms should be more inclusive and have more LGBT people in them and especially um, like trans people, uh, lesbians, bisexuals um, and any other you know people kind of thing and um, for me personally I'm also a person of colour so having the representation of like being a queer person of colour which is a very specific identity um, and can bring a whole host of issues especially with like kind of communities if you're from like you know conservative like um conservative ethnic minority communities then um you know i think those stories are really really important to kind of talk about because you know it's 2021 there are so many you know we're, we're making strides there's so many people who are open and out and you know welcoming to uh talk about their identities and their issues and just make sure that we are you know creating a diverse industry because as we all know journalism is very you know straight and white and middle class um and so we really need to make sure that we're intersectional in our representation you know that we have lgbt people we have people of color we have you know those kind of intersections uh working class people etc because they all come with a host of different issues um that need to be talked about and need to be discussed in society couldn't agree more yeah i couldn't agree more with those sentiments and let's hope that things keep marching forward for now, Michelle, it's time for us to have a look at your CV with our robot CV reviewer. And, <laughs> and without further ado, I'm going to hang on, hand over to Mr. George Goldberg. Thank you. Oh, gosh, you don't need to be worried. Like, don't worry. It will all be constructive and useful and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's, it's funny. Every single week when we get a lovely guest on, they're a bit apprehensive. It's all We're all friendly bunch of people here. A lot of large organisations now use things called applicant tracking systems or ATSs and they will use this as part of their recruitment system to help sift out people. It will scan for keywords and what will happen is it will convert all the text on your CV in, um, it will squish it down into like one column and what we've noticed on a lot of people's uh, CVs is they make use of two and this often has um, a lot of issues and what we do is um, it, we score you against 100 and then we try and put you on our leaderboard. So I thought I'd just quickly run through of the season two people who are on our leaderboard. So we've currently got first place Aaron with 81 points. We've then got uh, Tim who is down at eighth place with 66 points. We then got Beth who was on last week in 10th place with 60 points. And Robin Bless in last place with 56 points. So we're spanning from 81 to 56. Now, Michelle, do you think, where, where, looking at your CV, where do you think you might trip up or where you might also score quite highly? I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to like be the last person, be like 20 points or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's fear right now. I mean, I don't know. I, this, I kind of use the CV in that it's, landed me roles and hasn't been too problematic in the past so I guess it's not too bad um I suppose in terms of kind of having it scanned um my cv is like designed and not on a word document so that might 
cause problems. Um, and it's also in like um, capital. Oh, hang on. I think are you about to be sent to prison? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's yeah. coming for you. Run, <laughs> <my> house. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I think the other issue is maybe that I have, you know, a lot of it in capitals um, type font. So that might cause problems. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure if, you know, that I read somewhere earlier that, you know, you need to be more specific of the things that you do in each kind of role. Um, so maybe maybe that's where I might fail slightly because I kind of just say a bit of generic stuff, um, like responsible for writing and editing. So, The one decision I wanted to know about was um, you've included a picture. Have you been told to include one or is this just a stylistic choice that you thought you'd include yourself? Um, I wasn't really told to include one, but I, I remember going to like a CV press pad workshop thing. And, you know, they, they said kind of, you don't have to include a picture, obviously. Um, and no one's going to ask you for it but you can and to kind of like show that you have a friendly face or something like that and you know that's the picture that I use in most of my headshots um as well uh so you know I thought that might be a good thing to put on um and just be like look I'm a really nice person I'm really friendly and I'll be good on your team uh -huh. please uh mm -hmm. so I guess that that was kind of the issue uh the reasoning I mean um and yeah I mean also it's stylistic it is nice like how it's lay out, laid out in my opinion. Yeah, the reason why yeah. I wanted uh, to ask you that is because um, Naya, who was on our last series, um, she's a person of colour and she was told uh, to actually include a picture of herself on her CV because in this recent drive uh, for newsrooms to become more representative, it might actually help her to get into the newsroom. So that was that was the reason why I wanted to, to ask you. But I suppose we enough chatter. Um, we should bung it into the uh, robot machine and see what it spits out. So, Bryony, if you could do the honours and press the button for us. So, out of a score of 100, Michelle, you got... 85 so oh my god that you are now the what? top of our leaderboard so Aaron now shifts down to second place so and wow. I must also say this is the first time that I've seen this like robot turn green it is actually like it, it, with, with envy or... <laughs> <laughs> well I, I clearly am because I like this this is what this is a great CV if it's clearly uh got the score this high but yeah it's um the first time that the score has like gone yep cool like pass that's so, uh, excellent wow. Very good. thank you wow i mean my like little competitive spirit is like yes this is so good <laughs> yes, i'm really happy right. <laughs> um that's incredible i mean yeah thank you wow i mean i'm very i was really scared of this robot but now i love him he's my best friend <laughs> i was I, i'm gonna be honest with you i was a bit worried because your cv is very nicely presented i thought it was going to be a classic case that it was beautiful to the eye for a human but not uh, a robot yeah. especially with the photo. That's I thought. um because uh, obviously the listeners can't see this but you've got blue font for your heading so like experiences in blue about me's in blue and also you've actually got columns <laughs> no yeah 
<laughs> well, so when I was at, when I did student journalism at uni, I was also the designer of our student magazine. Uh, so I kind of uh, like learned how to use kind of InDesign and Canva and things like that and lay it out really nicely. So um, I kind of put that into it where I was like, oh, I'm going to lay out really nicely like it's a like it's a newspaper column or a magazine column and see if that is helpful. So I'm really pleased. This is exciting. But yeah, I didn't think the robot would like it. So that's great. But yeah, that's a fantastic job, Michelle. Very well done. And George, take us through it. Yes. So it likes that it was recently edited because um, these type of documents get prioritised um, if they've this robot does it by, um, if it was edited in the last two months, to find your name actually as the file name type um, in there. Um, good size, um, good amount of pages. Word count is in the recommendation between 350 and 800 words. It likes the amount of font colours on there. It's not complaining about that. But for some reason, the one thing where you slipped up was it thinks that you've got seven font types on there. Um, but looking at there, I wouldn't say there is that many. I'd say there's probably three. So I don't quite know about that one. Moving on down to structure, it can find your key sections, your contact details. Um, it's uh, laid out um, in the right order where you've got your um, uh, experience in chronological order. Content-wise, um, again, can find your um, phone and email um, one thing that I think that you should put in is a LinkedIn profile. But as I've kind of gone through this, I've kind of come to the conclusion, at least in journalism, that's probably not the most important social media link that you should put on there. Because I almost feel like Twitter is journalism LinkedIn, um, which yeah. I've noticed that you've maybe should possibly like put in. But like, I mean, I mean, yeah. hey, like if that's something for you, a place for you to trip up, it's not a big <laughs> one. Um, but like everything else, it broadly, um, it's like happy with. It can find your like um, your masters, which I was a bit worried about because it's it's in your like smaller education section in the smaller columns. So I thought it would get jumbled up with your um, experience, but no, it's fine. And it also likes the amount of words that you've got in your sentences. It thinks that your personal profile section should be a little bit longer. Um, it recommends more than 50 words and less than 80 words. Um, but honestly, Michelle, like, I'd, I, like, I'd take that and run with it. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> run all the way to the top of the I podium. Mean, amazing. I mean, in terms of like putting a LinkedIn, I think, you know, obviously up at the top, there's like a kind of web link thing. Um, and I think I decided that putting my portfolio, especially in journalism, was way more important than my LinkedIn. Yeah. Obviously, they just want to see how well you write um, and what bylines you have. And in terms of my uh, personal profile, yeah, maybe it should be a bit longer, but I'm really bad at writing personal profiles because I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of just kept it as basic as possible um, and was like, yeah, I know things. I've written things. Please help me. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> me. Is this the CV that you used for uh, My London? Oh, yes. well, I mean, oh, to be honest, it might have got 100 in our eyes because it got you <laughs> the job that you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, so that's exciting. I mean, I kind of, I redesigned this. Um, I re redesigned my CV in like October. I'm so pleased that I've got such a high score. This is exciting. Yeah, we're pleased for you, Michelle. And our, our biggest <laughs> congratulations. Yes. Yeah, so Sorry to Aaron. <laughs> I know, Aaron's going to be fuming. He will. I mean, Aaron. Aaron was very impressive. But eighty-five. I mean, you've blown him out of the water. Um, 
Wow. Okay, so with that over with, uh, we're now going to suggest, obviously, we wish you all the best of luck with your new job uh, starting today, actually, on the day this episode goes out. Um, Mm. But just in case journalism doesn't work out or you feel like a career change at some point within the next year, uh, we three have got some possible alternative careers for you to pick from. If you like, I'll go first, guys. That sounds like a plan. I just, I just want to remind you guys that I've won four so yeah. far. You, so... Don't have, you don't have to remind me, Brian. <laughs> you've, you've won every single one so far this year, which is really annoying. So, yes, Ollie, you go first. <laughs> okay, so obviously, I um, I was trying to do some sort of sleuthing on Michelle by looking at Twitter, by LinkedIn. That's what I normally do, and I find out a personal detail. And I couldn't really find anything, Michelle, because while you're very present on Twitter, it's very journalism related. Um, <laughs> so, and then I thought, hang on, I'm investigating Michelle here. <clears throat> She's an investigative journalist. Would she like to be a private investigator? Oh, yeah. So, Quite a good one. There's a. I found one example here is. Um, PI and SA, which is the Private Investigation and Surveillance Agency. Um, and they have all sorts of private investigators on their books, some like ex-police, ex-military. Didn't mention journalists, but I'm sure it'd be useful. And in my mind, uh, the what a private investigator does is walk around in a trilby while monologuing to themselves about their <laughs> ex. Uh, and walking on the street lamps drinking whiskey. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm told by the internet that that's not what a private investigator does. Um, but it this company offers packages, some things like cyber surveillance, physical surveillance, uh, and general investigation into whatever matters their clients want. So what do you think about that? That sounds very interesting. Um in fact, I the reason that I kind of really liked investigative journalism was because I am obsessed with crime and true crime oh. shows and crime procedurals. Like I, I'm obsessed with them and I've been watching them since I was a kid. And so that was kind of, but I was like, mm, being a police detective is probably not the vibes for me. So investigative journalism was kind of a close second. So that that's a quite uh, yeah, good yeah. choice. Well, now you could kind of mix the two because like... When every detective movie I've ever seen, they turn up to a crime scene and the police are all there. And he's like, and they're like, ah, what are you doing here? Like, we know what we're doing. And he's like, oh, well, you missed this massive clue. So you clearly don't. And I think that would be exactly. really satisfying. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with like Agatha Christie and Hercule Poirot kind of stories. Mm. Uh, so I would love to kind of be a Hercule Poirot and investigate stuff. Um, and in fact, I um, am going to start volunteering for a um, missing persons charity that like investigates cold cases. Um, so that's, that's brilliant. What a fantastic thing to do. Um, OK, Bryony. Well, um you're not going to believe this, but I also found a private investigator. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is the first time this has happened. I think this that's actually the first time. Automatic disqualification for you two. No, I think automatic disqualification for Bryony because she copied me. Oh. Uh, well, my role is a private investigator position based in London. It's a very similar job description. <laughs> a different yeah. company. Um, they like to hear from ex or current police detectives 
or people with a strong investigative background. So I was thinking, investigative journalism, tick. It says there may be opportunities for business travel in the future. So that could involve opportunities across the UK. So you won't be just restricted to London. Um, It says you'll be investigating issues of a private or public sector nature. So the private side of things, I was thinking uh, similar along the lines of Ollie, um, a disgruntled uh, couple, like, is my husband having an affair? (laughs) Like, what's going on? Um, (laughs) And then more sort of hard-hitting stuff potentially in the public sector. The reason I thought you might be interested in this is because they said that they would like someone potentially with legal knowledge or worked in a legal environment. And obviously you have been working for the Law Society. So you've been you've had sort of a uh, an inkling, excellent people skills. Do you drive the requirement um, of a full driving license, they say? Oh, you said you had a car. I do drive. Great. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's uh, an opportunity which can't be missed, it says. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not really sure how to divide that up between me and Bryony. I know. But maybe <laughs> let's, let's, do, let's do George's and then if Bryony and I can always team up. So uh, get ready for a George tangential. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's a private investigator. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so- I would love it if all three of you had the same uh, job. Well, um, un- unfortunately, that's not going to happen. But so I did see your tweet about earlier how you have got your job at my London. So I was thinking uh, London. Um, and then I was trying to think what, what, what iconic things could be, be you hired in at London. So... Um, I was thinking... You're not going black cab lines, are you? Well, oh, 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 you're close, Bryony. So I was thinking... <laughs> uh, an Uber driver. Well, I, I was thinking, well, what's... Re- what, you want, I want to go big with this one. So I found you a job to become a trainee bus driver. <laughs> I'm guessing by okay. that stunned silence, I have clearly, <laughs> I've clearly sold it already. But the benefits include... More. Job security, full training, free uniform, paid holidays, uh, free bus tube and London Underground travel for you, plus one. That is good. Whoa, hang on. They get that. That's That's really good. Well, according to this listing, it is the case. And even if you've got six penalty points on your driving license, you could still be considered for this role. Oh, that's amazing. So, oh, um, I, I, think, I, think, I think you've got a tough choice, maybe, on your hands now, maybe. transport yeah. is a real selling point. Just <laughs> Can think I just say, how much you would save. That six points thing explains a lot as well. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, so, Michelle, which of those is most appealing to you? Okay, well, the bus driver uh, is... A very interesting choice. <laughs> Free transport really, really is uh, a selling point. But I'm, I'm not like I'm not really the best driver anyway. In my very small baby car, right. um, and I cannot park like I cannot park at all. Um, and so I think maybe that's not the best choice because I feel like I would endanger a lot of London <laughs> <laughs> if I became a bus driver. Um, I mean, 
both Ollie and Bryony kind of had a very similar job. Well, and like I said, I love, yes, and I love I love crime. So I think Private Investigator really is the way. So maybe you should like split the point between you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably fair. We'll have to, won't we? I can't believe yeah. it. That's never mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, that hasn't happened ever. <laughs> it's weird, and, and now I think about it, it's weird that hasn't happened before. Mm. Why hasn't it happened? Wow. <laughs> I've just seen another job here, um, Michelle, for forensic fire and explosion investigators. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I used to want to be a forensic scientist as well, but then I realised I was not good at science. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I actually um, went through a similar phase after watching... The BBC program Silent Witness. Oh, that's a good <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, I, thought I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Private Investigator is really the way to go. Um, you know, I have been watching crime shows for the last four days. Um, so the last yeah. four days. <laughs> Why specifically the last well, four I've, days? Well, basically, I st- I found out that all fifteen seasons of NCIS is on Amazon Prime, uh, and so I just put it on, and I've just been watching it continuously. Like I just let it play, <laughs> and I just have it in the background. Um, I've seen it before, but I just have it in the background. Fair um, so it's fine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's probably as good a place to leave it as anywhere. So if you're ever in legal trouble or your company is within the next year you know where you can call uh shell tile pi yes i will i will do your job yeah it'll be she'll have do you think you'd have one of those offices with like you know the glass door and it's got your name on it yeah i'd love that i i mean your your view of a pi with a trilby hat kind of walking under the street lights is really what i aspire to be it's always raining it's always raining always always raining he's always got a cigarette in his hand (laughs) perfect yeah what I envision my life to be. And like a bottle in a brown paper bag. Exactly. Um, okay, well, we'll look forward to the movie they make of you. And just before we go, we've got time for our job of the week. Job of the week. Job of the week. Job of the week. So now, okay, Bryony, what is our job of the week? So our job of the week this week is proposition again. Oh, I know. ITV have just dropped um, a load of training schemes. Um, they've got a new production training scheme where they'll fast track new and diverse talent into a variety of roles. So it's a 12-month full-time contract. They've got them with their production companies as well. They've got ITV Studios Entertainment, ITV Studios Drama, Potato. They've got loads of them out there. <laughs> Can I just clarify that Potato is an ITV-owned production company? Brownie didn't just randomly say the word <laughs> Potato there. <laughs> so applications have just opened and they close on the 19th of February. So you haven't got long to apply and placements will begin in May. So it's a fairly quick turnaround, which is quite good. That is good. Big old, uh, big old employment drop from yep. ITV this week, mm-hmm. which is always good to see. So uh, we'll be tweeting the link for that out, and you can find that at JobsBoard on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again so much to Michelle for being our guest this week and for smashing her way to the top of our leaderboard. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Honestly, I've listened to you since like the first episode. So this is really exciting for me to be on your podcast. That's great. Well, I'm glad somebody has been. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, keep in touch in the future. And thanks very much. So it's good. You too. Yeah. And it's goodbye from me, Ollie Hammett. It's goodbye from George Goldberg. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Bryony Smith.
goodbye.